0: All right, welcome back to the Royals Review Radio Podcast. My name is Alex Duvall. I'm the host of this thing, joined as usual by my co-host, Jeremy Greco. Jeremy, uh, it's been a couple of weeks. Glad to have you back. How, how's everything going? It's,
1: it's covered in snow is, is how it's going. <laughs> but, I, uh, you know,
0: I, I, I like snow. Outside, I walked outside today and I was like, I can't think of three things that have caused me more pain in my life than the cold That I experienced today. It's like, I don't understand how it can be so cold. And like, I know it gets colder. I know it today, like tomorrow morning when I wake up and go to school, it's gonna be colder. And it's just like, I don't understand how that happens. I don't understand where global warming went. I want it back. (laughs) I want it in Kansas City. I want it to be warm all the time. And I'm tired of it being cold. That was like, hurt your face cold. It's like you walk outside, if you got a runny nose, it's frozen to the inside of your face cold. So not a fan of that. We had the snow. It came and went. And then, yeah, I, whatever. So we're joined also tonight by Alec Lewis of The Athletic. Alec, it's been a while. It's been a long, busy offseason like we were talking about just a second ago. Um, how are you managing to keep all of the hot stove rumors
2: um, to a simmer during your, during your offseason? It's as cold as... From that standpoint, as it is outside, that was the biggest layup of all time. But I hate the gold too, so it's fine. Um, No, the the offseason has been kind of odd. Um, It's been nice in some ways. Like the reality of doing this job um, is that, like, rarely can you put your phone down and know that it's not, you're not going to need it in 10 minutes or 15 minutes, even in the offseason. I remember in, I don't, I guess this was 2020 offseason. the Royals, I was at home in Birmingham, Alabama, where it's not as cold, fortunately, in the winters. And I thought I was going to take a couple weeks off. And then they signed Santana. And then they signed Minor, Michael A. Taylor. And I'm on Zooms. And then my phone's buzzing. And I'm like, so it's it's uh, it's been interesting in that my phone isn't as uh, necessary as it usually is. But that's kind of a good thing. On the other hand, I, as I told you guys, like I've, I've gotten to work on some bigger stuff that a lot of it has not seen the light of day. So I'm excited to keep uh, just grinding and, and kind of getting that stuff to where I know it can be.
0: One of those projects you're talking about is one of my favorite things that I've read about. And part of it was the anticipation. I think I was so eager. I've been, I've been hearing about the fountains as they're calling it for two years. And finally you, you came up with this article about the fountains and and they cut the ribbon and there's kids moving in. It's like, finally, there's, there's information on this thing because it's so cool. And for those of you listening that know or that don't know, I run Royals farm report, right? So most of what I do is minor league centric Um, and minor league housing. And and really the treatment of minor league players in general is something I'm really passionate about. Um, It's part of the reason I do what I do. And the fountains, if you're not familiar with the story Alec wrote, are it's basically it's an apartment complex that the Royals built right outside of their their stadium there in Surprise, Arizona, for minor leaguers to come stay in when they're playing in Surprise, when they're rehabbing during spring training, during fall instructs. But now they don't have to find apartments or motels or Airbnbs where they're sleeping seven in a three bedroom room. Right where. Now they have a place to stay that is fund, uh, funded by the team. Um, really quickly, Alec, just go ahead and give a, a recap of, of your story and, and kind of what this means to the organization as well as the players.
2: Yeah. So in 2020, when they officially broke ground on this, um, I saw like images and I told you guys, but I saw these images of this Royal facility in Arizona. And I was like, what the heck I've been there. I haven't seen this. I've never known about this. So it like, cute a fascination in my head that I just didn't forget. And I usually jot these stories down somewhere in some notepad and return to it. And when I was in Arizona uh, this past fall for some instruct stuff, saw Frank Mazzucato um, pitch and, and, and that type of thing, I was like, you know what, I'm out here. I see this beautiful facility. It would be really cool if I could go through it. So um, Nick Leto, who's been a, who was a point person on the project, with Scott Sharp, um, who's obviously been with the Royals front office and is highly respected around the game, uh, along with Patrick Boyd, who who has this housing company, they kind of they've been the point people on the project. But Nick Leto walked me through it in the morning that I went through it. Uh, a long time uh, staffer, former player Eddie, Eddie Rodriguez, uh, was there, and he was just like damn he kept saying he's like just everything you see the shuffleboard damn um and obviously i was like fascinated by it too uh but just to see his reaction knowing kind of i mean going from back when he was a player decades ago and the conditions that that he was in back then it just i think to your point it spoke to um i just think a lot of things i mean it spoke to teams and how, how much they realize that good living conditions uh, are not only essential, but they can benefit the player. I mean, Scott Sharp, I remember the conversation we had about it. He said to me, like, we always talk about wanting them to eat well and wanting them to get good sleep and wanting them to, to practice the way we think they should. But it's like, you can kind of, it's like you say that, but you don't have the, the, you're not supporting them with the means to be able to do that. So that's what this facility is. It opened in November, bunch of guys have stayed there already the royals are getting ready to um i think they're going to hold some open camps some invite type camps and some guys are going to stay out there non-40 man guys obviously so just really really cool multiple stories balconies so that guys can get fresh air like places for people uh for the players to interact and and i i mean nick leto and i were just talking about like what could the advantages be of this it's like who knows say there's a 23-year-old guy who's been in the system, has been through a lot, been through injuries, and he just runs into this 19-year-old who hasn't been through a lot of this stuff. and They're talking. They exchange numbers. They It becomes somewhat of a mentorship. Like, there's just stuff that could happen because you're in this communal hub that it's kind of beyond what I could even probably think of. And so that was – it is a really cool ordeal just to walk through. And I think Royals fans who go to spring training, hopefully it's in the spring – uh and not later than that this year um they'll see the facility and they I think they'll be like holy cow it's it's wild that they've built this thing with such um emphasis on the royals and their players
0: well i'm glad you mentioned the camps they're hosting because you talk about immediate advantages outside of a place to eat and sleep which is a massive piece of development like people always talk about well how are they fixing their swings and their approach how about the way they're fixing their bodies um you know i you mentioned the camp, though. So imagine – so they draft Carter Jensen, Ben Kaderna, Frank Mazzucato, Shane Panzini, all these high school kids, right? These kids are their first year out of high school. They didn't go to college. They haven't probably had a ton of time to be working real jobs. So if the Royals want them to come down at the end of January, which, by the way, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of playing around that I have I know that there a couple of these guys are already down there. If the Royals want these guys to come down in January, hey, Carter – why don't you come down in January, work out with Coach Saylor, work out with Coach Tosar, whoever it is, um, and we'll and we'll get you going. And, and you know, a kid like Carter Jensen who's, who's graduated high school last year and is a first-year pro, man, I don't have any – like, not that Carter Jensen – I'm just using him as an example for those of you listening. Like, man, what if I don't have any money? How do I – how am I going to afford to live down there? Now the Royals got to be figuring out housing and all this stuff. We've got it. You just come. You stay in the fountains. We can bring down – 20 players, we can bring down the Eric Pena's, the women Candelario's, guys who are coming in from overseas who need a place to stay. When they get to camp, there it is. There's the fountains. They all stay together. It's, kind of like, it's almost like a college dorm room atmosphere, I can imagine. Um, but, but that's awesome. And you talk about the advantages. I'm, I am so excited because I really believe that housing and meals are like the most underrated pieces of development that people don't really talk about. And to have one at your lowest domestic level is so massive. And again, because if you think about like earlier this, I'm sorry, last summer, a guy like, uh, let's go with Ben Hernandez, Ben Hernandez, another 19 year old, first year pro gets hurt. He's probably already paying for an apartment in Columbia, South Carolina. Now he goes to Arizona to rehab. What's he going to do? Buy another apartment, start renting another apartment And you know, financially and logistically, this is a nightmare. Now you got to go rehab. You stay in the fountains, you pack a bag, you hang out for a couple months, off you go. So I'm really excited. I love, I love the article you did. And, and, you know, I think this is a huge stepping stone in the right direction, not just for the Royals, but for all of minor league baseball.
2: Yeah. Well, I, I appreciate you saying about saying that about the story. I mean, the other thing, to your point, like you, you bring guys in now and spring training is in a month or two. And JJ Piccolo, the Royals GM talked about this. He's like, I mean, yes, we, we trust our guys. They go home, they work out with X, X, uh, personal trainer, um, sports scientist. they lift with certain people and we trust them to do that. And, and, and that's, I mean, that's just naturally what's going to happen, but now we know we can get them back to our facility under it with our performance science staff on the field, know, know their workload. And he's like, I, I think it'll prevent injuries. And the other thing, just like a macro topic is the Rose talk so much about building the camaraderie among their minor league players in the minor leagues. And, and that winning kind of mindset and, and togetherness breeds success at the big level. That's their mindset. It obviously showed itself in, in 2014 and 15 and, and <laughs> like throughout that period. And I think, Um, I mean, imagine how, I mean, you're living with these people and and not only just like some close friends, but everyone's really kind of there. So you get to know people on a deeper level that I think can only, only help that. So yeah, it was, it was a really cool, um, story to dive into and, uh, be interesting to just hear what, what comes out of it in years to come for sure.
0: For, for anyone listening who wonders if, if the next step is to build something like this and in the minor league affiliates the one thing I would caution you on is, you know, let's use Columbia, for example, what two years ago, 2019, the Royals low a affiliate is in Lexington, Kentucky last year. It's in Columbia, South Carolina. These minor league affiliates are not permanent. They are contracted out for five, 10, one, three, four years, whatever, whatever it ends up being. Um, And so if you're the Royals and you've invested all this money in a, the fountains Lexington, Kentucky, You can't pick that up and move to South Carolina, right? So it is a little bit of a logistical nightmare in terms of getting that done. But minor league – or actually major league baseball did pass some some rules of some kind that are going to force teams to pay for minor leaguers to live in their cities um, in, in the future. So don't expect something like this in the lower levels, maybe at a place like Omaha, where you've had such a good relationship with the with the club and you can expect to be there for a while but even then i i mean i wouldn't i wouldn't anticipate that
2: you go ahead out no the other thing too i mean it just kind of this is more of a like a nuts and bolts thing i mean the the reality is the fountains is actually owned by uh, patrick boyd and pro housing management who built the facilities the royals are kind of um, in some ways I think the the correct term would be like they have a long-term lease with this facility. So it's not, they don't even own this parcel of land in, in Arizona where they know they're going to be there from, from a spring training facility. So there's just a lot of, it, there's so many factors. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's highly doubtful that an owner would purchase land in one of these minor league cities. It's, it's, there's a lot that goes into it.
0: Gotcha. I actually missed that in the story. So that's also a big piece of that. So thank you for, thank you for clarifying that. I, I don't know how, missed yeah. that but that does, obviously make a difference. Um, you mentioned spring training starting on time. We don't have to talk about the lockout. We don't talk about when you think spring training is going to start. I do want to get your thoughts, though, and I know Jeremy is, wants to build on this here in a minute. I anticipated coming into spring training that if you could rank the big three, Prado, Melendez, Witt Jr., in terms of likeliness to, make, to break camp with the big league club. Witt Jr. won obviously, and because of Carlos Santana, I would have said Melendez two, Prado three. I think Bobby Witt Jr. still has almost as ninety percent of the chance he did before the lockout. In my opinion, Melendez and Prado, their chances have have plummeted. So I want to get your take on this. Let's let's start with Bobby Witt Jr. Does the shortened the let's let's just let's just uh, anticipate that spring training will be shortened does that hurt his chances of breaking camp at the big league club
2: I don't really think so no um I, I mean I I just I think he's proved he, he proved at each level um everything that you could prove I mean I think there, there's one element to this past season for all three of these guys that it's not as fun to, to mention and bring up, but I mean, the quality of pitching both at AAA a and at double a was just not close to what it has been in years past. And that's largely because of the attrition of a lot of these arms, given the walkiness of these last couple of years. So maybe the argument, um, I think it's less for Bobby, but maybe for more. So for the other two is we want to see like these guys go against the best of the, that the AAA has to offer at the beginning um at the beginning of the season that plays a factor but I think for Bobby specifically um I think if there's a spot for him and he's performing and he's healthy given what he proved at the other two levels I I just I don't see a reason that 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 would matter as long as he's performing he's healthy and there's a spot and I think there will be a spot um at third or, or shortstop really
0: the, the underrated thing that I don't think enough people are talking about is the possibility that the opening day third baseman is Adalberto Mondesi. The Royals have the depth, in my opinion, to break camp without Bobby Witt Jr. if they want to. Now, by no means am I saying that is what I would do. By no means am I saying that's what I want them to do. But if you're talking about, I don't know what the CBA will look like. I don't know what service time is going to look like. I don't know what any of that's going to look like. If the Royals decided to go Mondesi, Lopez, Witt with, I mean, you name your guy to be the rotational infielder, that wouldn't surprise me at all considering they could put Hunter Dozier over there, considering they could put Emmanuel Rivera over there. Um, so I don't know that I think it's a slam dunk that Bobby Jr., Witt Jr. breaks camp, but I don't know that I disagree with you strongly, but I, I, I do wonder if the shortened spring training hurts him in a, in a sense of Let's say that he starts off the first two weeks a little slow in um, a normal spring training. He still has three weeks to, to pick back up and get hot, right? If they shorten spring training two weeks and he starts off cold for the first two weeks, he's got like a week and a half to get going again, where I think that extra week and a half would have been beneficial to him before. So I'm not worried about it this isn't the year that I think is the Royals and they need to start camp with everybody on the roster and win, 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 (laughs) win, win. But for the fans who are listening and thinking we have got to have Bobby Witt Jr. It's got to be opening day. I am, I'm just throwing up a flag of caution because I personally think that the shortened spring training is going to be the reason or could be the reason uh, that he doesn't break camp, especially with the infield jam that they kind of have in, in some respect, not that he's not the best option, just they've got some other options. And, and I can really see a space where he doesn't make it. They hold him down for three weeks and oh darn, look at that. It's the, uh, it's the extra year of service time.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I don't, to your point, like, I don't know what service time could even, if it, how that will play out after the CBA. And I, I, I do think you're right in terms of like, say he doesn't perform the first, couple weeks and it's shortened and and then kind of he presses because he wants to like yeah I think I think that's possible um I think I I was if if he's performing the short it just to me it, it it doesn't matter but I also think the reality is even if he breaks camp with the club there's a strong possibility that as talented and skilled as this guy is that he goes through struggles I mean I know that, that that Royals fans and even a lot of evaluators believe so strongly, and I think they should because he's proven to be adaptable and, and so skilled that he can overcome whatever. But um, he's he's a human being, and this is baseball and hitting, and it's really, really difficult. Um, and as, as a lot of young guys in recent years have proven, even as talented as they are, they go through hurdles. So I, I don't expect this to be – uh, you get on the highway and we're going 70 cruising through Arizona forever. Um, I think there, there'll probably be some the traffic, some hiccups with, with he and all these guys, it would be very, uh, atypical if there weren't. Um, but it'll be interesting to see, obviously to your point, if Bobby doesn't break camp with the club and he's performing, people are going to go crazy regardless. That's the nature of, uh, people root how they want to root and, uh, that's it's it's awesome that people have, have voices. I don't
1: know. So does then to kind of build on that, does the shortened camp you think have any impact on a Prado or a Melendez making the roster, uh, or do you think the Royals might keep them down? Uh, you know, because they have a Carlos Santana's Ori at first base, and obviously Salvador Perez behind the plate. <laughs> do you think that if they look ready, they'll find a place for them?
2: Yeah, it's interesting. Like, on the flip side, maybe a shortened camp means injuries are more likely. And if that happens, then you need someone to fill in and there's more opportunity. I mean, it it, it could kind of go, I think, any way. Um, but I think you, you hit the nail on the head. For these guys, Nick and MJ, to debut, um, I think maybe Nick more than MJ, it, it, there's got to be, like, a, an opportunity to play – um at first almost every day I think that would make the most sense for when Nick uh debuts MJ I mean if they have a lineup spot and again like this is contingent on injuries etc you never know but if they have a lineup spot um and MJ's bat proves to be what it was last year which is arguably the best bat in minor league baseball um I think that that he could he could fill in in terms of the shortened spring training I mean, maybe less reps in games against big league type quality uh, makes it tougher for the Royals to really believe their the evaluation. Um, but I, I, there's there's just so many factors and facets things that could play a role. I mentioned injury, but it's just you just never know with this type of stuff. I mean, Carlos Santana. Um, say when activity begins, the Royals decide that they they think they could uh, be better in the long run moving him as soon as possible, then that could open up a spot. There's just a lot that could happen um, that could play a role for, for guys like MJ and and Nick to debut. And, uh, but I think regardless, it's going to happen at some point, probably sooner than later.
1: So just to kind of go back to a little bit, what you were talking about, Carlos Santana there, obviously um, there was a big, rush, or at least it seemed at least to baseball fans, like a big rush to make a lot of trades and free agent signings before the December 2nd lockout Mm -hmm. deadline. But uh, when when it comes back, the Royals were not a, a big part of that. So when baseball does eventually come back whenever that may be um do you think that the royals will make some moves any moves or uh you know will they be looking to trade guys like carlos santana or will they be looking at the free agency market at all and you know does it does it depend maybe on when they come back yeah, it's funny i wrote a column about uh, their activity uh you guys probably remember
2: it and not all royals fans probably blocked me after it um but I think I did a really poor job of explaining what I, I mean, I, I don't write many columns and I'm not perfect, um, but I did a really poor job probably of just streamlining what I was trying to say. And I think the point of the column that I, I, i hoped to make and obviously I don't think it worked for many was that the Royals have talked a lot about being very trans about being more transactional going forward. And so while the Royals, were very quiet at the beginning of this off season. Um, And I believe that they will still be quiet kind of after this period. And I'll get back to this. I, I, mostly the column was about, I think if they do what they say they need to do, which is be more transactional then maybe not this, this spring training or or this off season is the time where they're going to be making a lot of moves. But I think, the next year, next off season, as a lot of these players enter arbitration, and the Royals have a lot of the, the this pitching that has come up. I think this is where you could start to see them churn a little bit, the way like Cleveland and Tampa have. If if they do what they they they've said that they need to do to be the sustainable organization that they want to be. That was the point of the column. Uh, it wasn't really taken very nicely, which has happened. But um, in inter- back to the activity. I think when the lockout ends and there's a new CBA, I don't expect them to, to go crazy. Um, I think from, they've talked about wanting to revamp and retool their bullpen a little bit, add an arm or two. And I think a lot of that is because, while yes, they have some young guys like the Dylan Coleman's, um, Nathan Webb, Will Klein, while they have a lot of these guys, um, I, I don't think they want to put them in a position, in, in a situation this early on where they have to go back to back back-to-back-to-back, to back to back. I really think they want to ease these guys in, keep them healthy, and that's why they would want to add a bullpen arm or two. But other than that, I don't see them do anything crazy. Um, it's funny, like people have asked Eric Haas what, like that type of stuff. I just don't – I just – I don't foresee it, but you just never know. I'm not privy to all the conversations, obviously, so I don't know. But I I don't think this is off season where they are really transactional, though I do think going forward uh, they will be much more for sure.
0: I want to ask you about some of the pitchers you were just getting into Uh, really quick. We're going to throw in an ad break and then we will be right back. All right. You mentioned the bullpen. I know um, over at Royals farm report, that is something that a lot of people have brought up is revamping the bullpen. And what I've tried to tell people, and if for anybody listening, the bullpen, at least for the next two years, like when, when the Royals are ready to be really competitive again, the bullpen is the last thing you need to worry about. They've got dude after dude after dude (laughs) on the way. The bullpen is going – like, seriously, I was looking at the other day, and one of my favorite things about writing up our rankings at Royals Farm Report is I get to, like, in the middle of January, remind myself of how good some of these guys are. It's like, damn, like, some of these dudes, I can't wait. Like, their bullpen's going to be nasty. Their bullpen's going to be fine. It's the rotation that's got me curious, and so – I was looking at the, at the options for the big league rotation coming out of camp, and I think there's some mortal locks that we can consider right now are Brad Keller, Mike Miner, Brady Singer. If healthy, those three are starting. There's really no way around it, I don't think. Um, I concur. Okay. The next three that are normally I would consider to be The favorites, but you're talking about six starters and what is a traditional five-man rotation, are Daniel Lynch, Chris Bubich, Carlos Hernandez. The next three guys that I would consider to be long shots but very capable, Jackson Coar, Jonathan Heasley, and the guy I don't hear anybody talk about, Angel Zarepa. Now, I think (laughs) Angel Zarepa got rushed to the show a little bit but looked outstanding when he got there. He's kind of the dark horse, in my opinion, in terms of guys who could break camp as the number five starter, number six starter. But I'm curious what you think about it because they've got legitimately got like seven guys that need starts, need big league evaluations. I, I don't know really kind of what the, what the plan is going to be. I, is it, do you just ride the hot hand? Do you, you go into it, hey, these six guys, if healthy, are going to be big league starters because we have got to get evaluations on them. And then, if we want to bring a Coar Zerpa, Heasley up later, we can do that. I mean, what do you have any kind of a concept of like <laughs> what, what might be the plan or what you
2: would do or what? Yeah, I I, I don't really know what they what they're attempting, but the, it's difficult because, like to your point, like Carlos Hernandez, the the last half of the year was probably your most consistent, potentially, like he looked as if he was like your most high upside guy. So you're not going to give, I mean, how could you not give him big league starts? And then, so that's four guys. But then you have a guy, Daniel Lynch, who is, I think a lot of people a lot of evaluators considered like the most high end of a lot of these young guys. Um, And so you're not going to give him big league starts if he's ready for it. And then Chris Bubich, who almost threw a no-hitter in Chicago? We could talk about that lineup. I don't really want to. It was a hell of a pitching performance. And he pitched well otherwise. And he started to, I mean, he was throwing the curveball more than he ever had. It's a it's actually a very good curveball. He talked at the very end of the year very quietly about developing a slider. Nobody really picked up too much on it, but you know Chris Bubich and how analytical he is. So he's gonna be motivated. So now now we're talking six guys right now. And I do know that they're probably gonna have to be mindful about inning. So maybe that's Kind of what opens the door for some of these guys. Um, the others, to your point, I mean, Jonathan Heasley came up and he had pitched so much and had been such a, a, a topsy turvy year. His velocity wasn't what it can be and probably will be, but he was still fairly successful because he, he, he's. I mean, he, he commands a zone. Um, Angel Zerpa of all the young pitchers that have debuted had had the best debut out of all of them um, at the end of the year, and then Jackson Coar. Um, it's a fascinating conversation with him. He, he's he's just I think for these this last year it was it was a combination of a lot of things. There, obviously, there's pressure. I think there's a lot of it is is fighting an arm slot and his natural arm slot and how his pitches work versus others, um, and just being too rotational at times. And part of that is because of his natural arm slot. It's very complicated pitching stuff. So I've just kind of reiterated your point that there are a lot of guys. And for very few spots, how they'll piece it together, I, I really don't know. Um, but I think through this conversation, you can kind of see where, where things are headed. You got so many guys that need opportunities, there are going to be other teams that need guys to fill spots. And at some point, the reality is the, the, there's value uh, that you can glean from the guys who you aren't giving the big league opportunities. And I think it just shows more and more this conversation in, in itself, kind of what I think is on the horizon. Um, but I, I, it would be hard for me not to see, like, guys like Carlos Hernandez and Daniel Litch starting um, unless the, they have to work through something given the the something that happened this offseason, um, just because of how, how high-end potential I think they have. And then I, I don't I, – I, anybody who argues that Chris Bubitz should assuredly be in the rotation given ex, his experience level compared to the others, I'm not arguing one second to that.
1: So do you think the Royals are more like, I guess I can ask this two ways. Do you think the Royals are more likely or would you uh, be more inclined to trade some of these guys soon or maybe start them in the bullpen or start them in triple a. I think, I mean, there were, there are some
2: who I I wouldn't trade. I think you got to really be strong in your evaluation before you, you, you trade valuable players. And I think it'd be hard to really have a full evaluation given just the sample size of a lot of these a lot of these young guys so I, I think I would I would kind of mix and match see how guys are doing and just move from there I mean the reality as we talked about with the sh- short and spring training also is just these are pitchers it's it's a very volatile situation especially on our short ramp up um, anything can happen so you I think you really need, in, a, in the big leagues these days, I think you need like ten to twelve starters that you can potentially rely on. So I think they're going to need a lot of these guys, which means I would I wouldn't trade uh, if it were me. And I what do I, what the hell do I know? But I, I just I would uh, I I think they'll all the time will come for all of them in the way that it 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 probably should. I think it'll kind of work itself out as much as it seems right now. Even as I'm talking about like how how, how could it be? But I think it 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 usually just happens that
1: way. There's- so then that leaves you with the bullpen or AAA if you're not going to trade them. And do you, do you think there's a strong, there should be a strong preference either way, or. I think, I think you, you want to build up innings.
2: Um, and that probably it probably leans toward AAA. I think the other thing is you want the strongest bull. Th- I know this organization, this front office wants the strongest bullpen they can um, to kind of support the young pitching and help them grow and develop. I mean, if you have a great defense, which the Royals are going to have, and you have a strong bullpen that can cover the load and, and pick these guys up, I think you maintain a confidence-building type of environment uh, that they're going to want to for the young guys to reach their, their full potential. So I, w- I would expect starting at AAA, you can work on your pitches more in that type of situation because you're throwing more innings and it's not as high stress. So I, that's, that's really what I think they would do with, with probably most of them.
0: I will push back to that on one guy specifically, and it's a guy we already talked about that I wanted to bring up. Royals fans got to look at Jackson Coar, the jersey. They got to they, – they, Jackson Coar, somebody in a Jackson Coar uniform walked out on the mound in Kansas City last year. I don't – like I cannot over – or I am not exaggerating. I cannot overemphasize <laughs> – there it is. I'm not exaggerating one bit. I cannot overemphasize that Royals fans that don't watch minor league baseball, that didn't watch Jackson Kowar at AAA, you have not seen Jackson Coar yet. I have never seen, and I, and I don't really want to say never because I'm – it's possible I'm forgetting someone. But at the moment, I legitimately don't know that I've ever seen a prospect go from what he was doing at AAA – to being a shell of himself in the next start, his first start at the big leagues. I was scrolling through Twitter the other day, um, back at some of Coar's film because I was, it was like 11 o'clock at night. I was up. I had just put the kid back down. I was, I was
2: aware. You're saying this like it's so normal, but I mean, come on. You're yeah. looking at Coar film at 11 o'clock.
1: Yeah.
0: Well, okay. <laughs> so anyway, I was, and I'm like, I was, I was literally like, this isn't even close to what we got in Kansas city. Like the stuff he was doing in the minor leagues, dropping 99 mile an hour fastballs, wherever he wanted them with legitimately one of the best changeups you've ever seen on a right-handed pitcher and using his curveball earlier early in the count to get ahead of hitters. It's like Royals fans. If if you haven't watched the film and and I put some of it up on Twitter, I put some of it up up on write-ups about Jackson Coar over at Royals farm report. If you haven't seen that film, you have not seen Jackson Coar yet. So the, the one thing that, that I can't figure out is how, the disconnect between his last start at AAA and his first start in the big leagues. And I think the one guy that I'd be okay throwing in the bullpen for one, two-inning spurts would be Coar. In the same mold as what they did with Brad Keller in 2018. Go blow out for an inning at a time. Throw your best top 1% stuff. Throw, I mean, Coar. I've seen Coar hold 99 into the sixth inning of starts. Go throw 9900 miles an hour in one inning spurts. Throw your changeup in your curveball slide or whatever breaking ball he's going to throw as hard as you can throw it. Have some success at the big league level. And then we can move you back into the rotation once you're feeling better about where you're at. But to, to your point with the rest of those guys, that's not the case for the rest of these guys, is they came to the big league level, they had some success or didn't, but for the most part, you're getting what those guys were. And, and, and to that end, I would agree, go down to AAA, build up your innings, be ready to come back as soon as we need you. But Coar is the one guy I feel strongly about. They need to start him at the big league level in some capacity. If he comes out in spring training and is blowing the doors off guys and they think he can start, great. Otherwise, even if he doesn't, put him in the bullpen and, and get him right. Because from, from everything I've seen at AAA, there is nothing left for him there. There is nothing left for him to do except go down there and pick on less advanced bats. And, it, and if he can't get right, he can't get right. But you have to find out at the big league level. And that's a guy, Alec, I'd like you know, you were talking mechanically about it, but is there anything else about Jackson Coar that we're, that we're not discussing? Because mechan, mechanics are one thing. But the fall apart we saw from AAA to the big leagues was something else entirely.
2: Yeah, I don't know. I'm thinking about two things that I, I wanted to point out in terms of like, is there something we're missing? The reality is I probably need, I, I probably should have a conversation with Jackson in, in this time. It's, it's probably a good reminder for me that like I have time. Might as well kind of dig in and just talk about it, talk about his offseason. So I'll write that down on a notepad. Right after, but I, I think – I totally actually agree with you 100% um, in terms of starting him, like, in the bullpen. I think – I was talking to a Rose prospect the other day who was a starter. They shifted to the pen, um, and he's like, the psychology of just, like, I'm just going in and I'm just letting it eat. I think there's, like, a lot to that uh, that that probably on the outside in, in this role where I'm judging from so far away and not in it, I, I think that's something I probably forget. The only thing I, I – and it goes along with your entire point there. It's like, and it's happened with a lot of these young guys is they'll come up, they'll have some struggles. Um, and it's, it's the, a lot of fans are like, what are they doing? What are they like? What could they possibly, how could they have thought? And it's like, well, if you just, if you talk to the people who had seen them at AAA scouts, I mean, go like Ned Yost saw a lot of these guys before they got called up. I mean, they, they checked off almost I and mean, there were a lot of boxes now on the flip side guys like Brady Singer and Chris Boo, were probably pushed to the big leagues too early. And I think the Royals would even admit that it's just kind of the situation that they, they decided to, to roll with, but for like Jackson, I mean, he was the, minor, the Royals minor league pitcher of the year and like the best starter in triple a and, uh, yeah, it, it, you just rarely saw it. it. It was, it was hard to watch. Um, I think a lot of it, and he, again, I said this, he talked about it. Uh, I think just stuff starts speeding up when you're trying to think about moving downhill and being less rotational. You're trying to think about that as you're trying to get the best hitters in the world out at the time, the beginning of his time at the big leagues, he didn't have a a slider. So he didn't have a pitch breaking that way. So hitters could kind of cross off that side of the plate. Um, So it's just a lot of factors, but I, I don't want to minimize the psychology of it and the pressure of it and the snowball effect of, of just what can happen. But it was, it was very, it was definitely abnormal from what I have read or seen or, um, etc. And I, I, I come back to, I, I need to have a long conversation with them about this offseason, season what it's been like. And I, I will do my very best to make sure that happens.
0: That is something I cannot wait to read. <laughs> There's, there's, there's one position, I think, um, in the organization, and I know we've, we've, we've kept you a while here, so we won't um, milk the rest of your night entirely. Um, there's one position in the organization that is substantially, in my mind, substantially weaker than the rest, and that is out in center field. The Royals went and signed Michael A. Taylor to stop gap for the next year or two, um, two years, $9 million. The reaction that I got from, or it seemed that most people gave, was, oh, it's just $9 million. Like, that doesn't mean he has to start. When have the Royals ever given anybody $9 million and not given them every opportunity to start? I mean, they gave Chris Owings three and ran him out there repeatedly. I mean, that was abuse, what they did to Chris Owings. That was (laughs) illegal in 14 states. So when when I see 9 mil for Michael A. Taylor, he is going to start, at least for the first year. I wouldn't even be surprised if they plan on him starting for the next two years in the big leagues, that is not going to work if they want to be in the playoffs. Now, maybe if your argument is that in 2023, the rest of the roster will be so good that they can live with Michael A. Taylor in center field. Is the goal 87 wins? Maybe if the goals win the division, I still don't know. Um, Regardless, are you hearing anything? Have you, talk to anyone, or do you have any opinions yourself on what they can do in center field? Because they don't have anybody coming up the pipeline. They don't have anybody ready to take it this year. And unless you're going to run Kyle Isbell out there, who I don't think can play center field at the K for 81 games, um, they really are kind of, I don't want to say in trouble. You can always go sign somebody else in free agency. It's not my money. If Papa John wants to go out there and spend $80 million, bring somebody in to – play center field the all-star level be my guest but the moment they've got nobody else
2: yeah you're right I mean and you know the prospect landscape that it, within their system probably way better than I do but um yeah it's hard to believe it's hard to I mean I don't I don't really see anyone there I mean I've had conversations with some scouts about Eric Pena and we could talk about the bat but I just think from a defensive standpoint it doesn't sound as if that that right now could could really be a possibility and then Again, from the bat, I just think it, you're probably a couple years away at least. So um, it's interesting. I think this is a spot where – I mean, I don't know. I was trying to think before they extended Michael A. Taylor, like what potential capable defensive center fielders who could play at Kaufman and have a lot of success defensively, which is what the Royals value probably more than anything else from that position for right or wrong. That's that's just how much they value it. Um what what options of that sort can hit and it's just it's just a very i mean we talk like starling marte but you saw the type of money he got and there's just realistic and there's unrealistic and uh you know the answer uh, right now with with where the roads are at um i think like that could be a spot where where a trade could could make sense at some point um in terms of michael a i still think they believe there's there's more out of the bat i mean look he struck out a lot over the course of his career. Those numbers rarely just uh, shift entirely. But um, I, I, and I, and I don't know right now, obviously, he can't work with team personnel. So people say, OK, well, the hitting developments that like I don't right now, it's obviously unfeasible. Uh, but maybe he, he gets he gets to camp and he's working with a guy like Keone or, or certain elements can, can kind of help him progress and be more allow him to be more capable of, of just being in that lineup spot. But I, I, I don't know. I think they've just valued the defensive, the defensive aspect that he brings and believe that that every day is, is worthwhile for them for now until they see an an option that really makes sense and, and monetarily makes sense. Um, I think in some ways, with his defensibility, it, it does make sense that they they extended him. It's to your point. It's it is x amount of dollars, uh, four and a half or what have you a year that they've committed. So um, I don't know. We'll see. It's it, it'll be interesting to see how they how they take that position going forward. But that I mean, they knew even before they extended Michael A. Taylor. Like they know. I mean, that center field is the hole that we right now. I mean, that we see. I mean, they they're very aware they were very aware before they extended Michael A. Taylor of that circumstance. And I think, um, I don't know, they, they, he obviously had a lot of plate appearances last year and it was, uh, it was inconsistent to say best. Um, so we'll see what happens, but it's, it's one of those. I mean, I, I, I wrote a story earlier this off season about first base and just the black hole that has been, I mean, the the, the pr- production since Haas left at first base the worst in baseball by like a long shot. And so that position, uh, to be able to fill that position um, is essential. And then I think center field also, you, you know, when the Royals have been good historically in this ballpark uh, with how they play, they have a really good defensive center fielder um, who's who's capable of, of, of performing, producing in the lineup. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. I know that's not, I don't, I'm not, it's not this crazy wisdom, um, but I just, I think, until they have evaluation set a lot of these young pitchers and know the value of what they can potentially acquire, I, I think that's right. For right now, it's Michael A. Taylor. I just think that's that's the nature of it, um, and they'll just roll with that.
0: That's um, that's a position too, where Jeremy was talking earlier about the possibility of them being uh, semi-aggressive when the lockout ends. Is that's a place I could see them going and getting another cheap free agent? Is God forbid but injuries do happen. If something were to happen to Taylor in spring training that cost him the season or March, April, May, June, even they don't. And just for the listeners, for context, they don't have anybody that can go out there and go get it in center field. It's not even like they have, like if Kyle Isbell was a glove first center fielder who we were kind of questionable, if he could hit, it'd be one thing you could throw him out there. You're, you're going to be fine in center field. They don't even have that. I, I legitimately don't know what their plan would be to roll out there because I think if, if the plan is Kyle Isbell and your plan is if something happens to MAT, we're going to run Kyle Isbell out there and he'll be fine, that should be your plan on opening day. He needs to be in the center field every day against right-handed pitchers on opening day and against 25% of lefties, and that needs to be your plan as the opening day center fielder from the jump I'm not getting that impression. I don't feel like they're going to do that with Isbell, which means if that's your
2: backup plan, then I don't. I, anyway, um, yeah, no. I mean, they're they're more covered. I've I've written about this too. It's like from people ask like, are, have the Royals progressed? Or they, I mean, they're more covered from a depth perspective at so many of these positions than they have in these past few years. But it's just the reality. Think about the middle of the infield, obviously, um, and even the corners. They're just so so covered, but. You're exactly right. That is a spot where it's. I, I don't. I mean, I think there is faith that Kyle will can play defense at center field, but to expect him to do that every day, uh, the taxing that that would be on the legs with him also trying to continue to get his footing at the plate, just so unrealistic. That I, I yeah, it would make sense for them to kind of acquire some kind of cover um, because they they need it. I mean, Mike Clay Taylor the fact that he played as much as he did last year was as effective defensively. This part of the, I don't know if people realize like how impressive that was. Rusty tried to say it. We wrote about it a little bit, but it's like kind of mind blowing. Um, And then if some people argue, they're like, well, why don't we just put modesty? It's like, whoa, like, please. People say, Bobby, it's like they, it would be, it really would behoove them to have a capable in some form or fashion, capable, uh, piece to be able to plug there in the event of something happening for them to compete the way they're going to talk about wanting to compete it's probably essential
0: and and for anybody listening I think Kyle Isbell could compete for a gold glove in the corners I think if the Royals played in whatever the White Sox are calling their stadium this year I think Kyle Isbell could (laughs) play 81 games at center field for them that I mean you play in a cracker jack box like Baltimore, like, yeah, I think I think Kyle Isbell could go get it. Um, but I don't I don't think people understand the nature of playing center field at the K and all the running that the Royals everyday center fielder has to do on a nightly basis. It it is some serious wear and tear on your legs. And when you're not when you don't have an elite gear in terms of speed, range, jump, which Kyle Isbell's fine. He's just not what the Royals are looking for out there. So there's there is a really big Kauffman Stadium caveat to Isbell playing center field. But anyway, um, I think if, if there's anything the Royals are going to do when the lockout ends, if I had to put money on it, it'd be um, a bullpen arm. And then if it's going to be a bat, the any bat they go get is going to be a capable center fielder defensively who may not hit a lick. He might hit zero, but is a guy who can physically go out there, man center field with a K, relieve some pressure from the other guys who would be um, potential candidates. So anyway, Alec, any final thoughts on the Royals, the lockout, the evening, Mizzou, Luther Burden?
2: Uh, Luther should be pretty special. Um, that's positive. No, I, I, uh, I don't know. I've, I've said my piece often about baseball and how I view it, but I just, I just wish the powers that be thought about the future health of the game with more of the decisions they make. Because I know a lot of people my age that I went to school with, or that I know, or that I talk to, who have just no interest. And a lot of that is the nature of the game. Some of that is the lockout stuff. And I just it's it's interesting because I because I'm in it every day. Maybe it's it's I'm blinded to it, but I see such like this is going to sound cliche, but beauty in just so many facets of it. I mean, I, we're talking on Wednesday night. Um, the Royals earlier today announced that they, they hired Roy Clark uh, a longtime scout as an advisor to baseball operations. I talked to Roy today, talked to a couple others, and just some of the stories you hear, you're not going to get anything like this in any other sport. And, um, and it's part of the people it's part of, uh, just the quirkiness of it. And I, I think a lot of people would gravitate toward that, but the game has to be palatable for that to be the case. Um, and I just think we're at a place where it's, its it seems like that's just not at all a priority. And I understand there are other priorities and uh, business is business, but I just, I, I just, I really wish they thought about it more. There's just so much we can do on a daily basis, daily basis and so many ways to spend our time. Um for baseball to continue to be a part of that for a lot of people of younger generations, I think they have to think strongly of it. So that's my final thought. Um, I feel like I probably went too serious, but that's kind of the nature of how I am. I just, I I, I'm I'm excited. I mean, we talk about all these players, right. We talk about their skills and the acquisitions, all this type of stuff, call-ups like it's such a, it's incredible. Um, I can't wait to see it. I can't wait to be a part of it on a daily basis. Uh and I think other people would, would want to be too if they kind of uh if they were pulled in, in a in a better way. So there's my piece. we can we can end with another Luther Burden shout-out and people will be happy. Did you
0: see that the the Nickelodeon slash CBS Dallas game was the most watched wild card game? I don't want to say in NFL history, but it's been a while. Like the it's like newsflash you can find a way to get kids to watch it like your game the, the game the brand the product will become more popular um i i tweeted something out it was like uh rob Manfred had an aneurysm trying to figure out why the nfl would put a game on nickelodeon or, or whatever but i i agree with you and i think there's there's even an aspect of, and i'll be quick here but there's even an aspect of it too where like if you just like major league baseball more so I don't want to say more than the NBA because I don't know exactly what the numbers are, but I think more so or just as much as any other sport in America has an international influence like no other. And if you just listen to the broadcasts of the, the, the games in other countries compared to the broadcast here in the United States, there's even a discernible difference. If you take age out of it, if you take markets and just listen to the way other people call the game and listen to the game and appreciate the game versus here in the states it's like very clearly um not being intentionally branded to the next generation of fans which is so interesting it's such an odd like gatekeeping i don't know
2: it's part of like a societal thing of like national pastime and and like it it just it's hard there's a lot of Push and pull with with certain elements of things of it societally, but yeah it's like you'll flip on a Dominican Winter league game it's like this vibrant like uh, just like engaging thing and and that that's part of what I'm talking about it's like when you watch an NFL game uh, i don't know it's just so captivating because it's just I, 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 and the NFL is maybe a different breed, but it's just I, I just I think baseball I think there is opportunity um I just hope they 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 see it and focus on it. So, we'll see, but I I mean as soon as we can get the game back, that is uh that will be positive for all. And I can't wait to leave this cold. I should probably wrap it up like this. Can't wait to leave this damn cold and be in Arizona uh in that heat under the sun <laughs> as soon as possible.
0: Jeremy, any final thoughts tonight?
1: Um I just had one more quick question for Alec. Um the uh, you talked about we have so many opportunities for other things to catch our attention to entertain us. So baseball needs to try harder. I was just curious, what are you watching right now? Since you're not doing any baseball, wow,
2: that's great. It's a great question. Um, I I wouldn't say. I mean, I've watched the NFL a ton. I mean, I I I I, I watch try to watch every NFL playoff game, but I I, tr- I do. I love music. It's kind of one of my things. And then if I showed you my, I mean, I read and try to read probably way too much and stories. um, And I also get caught up in just working on stories, but I I think I, I mean, music just hanging out with people, obviously when you can healthfully in this environment and then NFL, I think that's, that's it. I mean, I watch shows. I I watch like some of the Mandalorian stuff. I I watched, succession like I, I try to keep up culturally but I'm, I'm not the best at it sometimes I, I always need as many suggestions as I can to be on top of it uh I'm about it but um it is it's been an interesting time because like I said you can kind of slow down and think macro on like some life stuff that in the season <laughs> you're just thinking about the roster every day it's just probably a bad healthy state but um no it's it's i but then i i get to this point i'm ready for ready to be in that kind of environment every day and see the people that i miss seeing like i mean with the other beat writers that we're that i'm with every day the players obviously um the other media members we we have like a we have a time at colvin say so i i miss that um and i can't wait to be back with everyone
0: I want to I want to end the night um on a more somber tone um the Missouri Missouri University the University of Missouri Mizzou uh pitching coach Brian DeLunas, passed away recently 46 years old um from from kidney failure and there are very few people that I have never met that I've also never heard a bad word about um and I remember when Mizzou last June hired Coach DeLunis out of the Tampa Bay Rays organization, every single person I asked had not just a glowing review, but wanted to tell you a story about Coach DeLunis. And so I think there's, there, there's not many people that I can, like off the top of my head, think of that are, that are like that, where people are offering up more than you asked for because they are so fond of, of the man or the woman. And every single person I asked, had not just nice things to say about coach DeLunas, but a story and something to, to add. So um, rest in peace, rest in peace to coach DeLunas. Um, our thoughts and prayers are with his family. Um, anyways. Yeah. There's a member of the Mizzou baseball family that, that and a former Mariner, a former Ray, a former Met um, that is, has that gone and left us too soon. So uh, for those of you listening, we will be back again next week. Jeremy and I will be. Um, hopefully inching towards the end of this major league baseball lockout, uh, for now, uh, continue to follow us. Jeremy is at a H O K I U S you can follow Alec Lewis on Twitter as well. And through his work at the athletic, I'm over on Twitter at Royals farm. You can find me at Royals as well. So thank you for listening again. And, um, hopefully we'll have some actual baseball news for you the next time we, uh, next time we're together. So thanks again. And we'll see y'all very soon.